Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. So the topic of the message this morning is on gratitude. Let's look at God's word in 1 Chronicles 16.34. The title of the message, which I just stole from the scripture, is Give Thanks to the Lord. Give Thanks to the Lord. I think it's important for us to give thanks to each other. That's something we've been taught since childhood, right? Say please and thank you. But it's really important that we also have a posture of thanking God as a spiritual discipline. And here's what 1 Chronicles 16.34 says. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. You know, whether you're a religious person or not, I think most people understand that gratitude is a virtue. We, we know that when a person is grateful, it's life-giving and it's attractive. And when a person is ungrateful, it's off-putting and it sucks the life out of them and the people around them. Now, there are times when ingratitude seems the obvious response to a person's situation. But when a person yields, gives in to ingratitude as a pattern, we all recognize it's doing something harmful to their heart, to their soul. And we also know that when a person exudes gratitude, when they're quick to thank others, when they have a generally thankful disposition in life, appreciate even the little things that fill their lives, it's healthy for the soul, the heart, the mind. And I think that that, uh, that's not just religious people who understand that. It's becoming a growing awareness in the secular and business world as well. I came across this article this week that lists 31 benefits of gratitude on the basis of 21 published scientific research studies on the effects of gratitude as an attitude on various areas of life. This is a sermon, it's not a lecture, so I'm not going to dwell on this. But it's amazing that scientists have discovered a measurable positive impact of gratitude on things like your personality. It makes your personality more likable. How many of you would agree it's more fun to hang around a grateful person than an ungrateful person? Amen? Ungrateful people, I know they may be in pain, but it's also, it's a, it's a bit of a drain to stay around them for very long. It is, has a positive impact on your emotional life. It has a positive effect on your relationships. It has a positive effect on your physical health. That's probably the most well-established, measurable thing. And it even has a positive effect on your career. Grateful people seem to advance in work far more often than ungrateful people do. But in addition to these benefits, which the scientists agree all ultimately lead to human happiness, because these were secular studies, they didn't really touch on the fact that gratitude has a profound effect on our spiritual health, on our spiritual lives. This verse... 1 Chronicles 16.34 comes at the end of a hymn of thanksgiving, which David wrote and taught to the people of Israel at a very important occasion in their lives as a nation and in his life as a leader. Um, The Ark of the Covenant, which was a box in which God's presence really inhabited, was brought into the temple in Jerusalem, and 
that was the culmination of a very long, difficult journey for David. As a leader, as a follower of God, this was the end of something that was a trying episode in his life. And now God was in his house, and his house was in his city. And the people felt the presence of God, and there was a joy overflowing. And David wrote this long hymn of thanksgiving, and this was one of the final lines in that hymn. And I want to look at this, I want to unpack this verse a little bit, and look at elements of gratitude that are important for us to know and practice especially as followers of Jesus. The first observation is that gratitude is a choice. I say that because most of us are polite enough to at least acknowledge gratitude when something is done for us. Most of the time we express thanks, it's in response to a kindness or an act of service that someone else did to us. And so we know when someone does a nice thing, what do you say? <laughs> don't you say that to the kids? What do you say? And the kids just go, thank you. I don't know if their hearts are thankful, but at least we learn the habit that when someone does something nice, you acknowledge with a thank you. But when you read the early part of David's hymn of thanksgiving, even though most of the time we're thankful in response to something, it's clear that David also believes we should be thankful not just in response to something done, but as a general attitude or posture of our hearts. See, there's gratitude in response to a nice thing, and there's gratitude as an overall disposition and a posture or attitude that defines our lives. And look at the unmistakable intentionality, how proactive the choice is. He doesn't just say, look around, and if something nice happens, give thanks. He says, make this choice. Give praise to God, proclaim, make known, sing, tell, glory, seek, rejoice, look, and remember. In other words, the real essence of gratitude as one who knows God is not just to respond to nice things, but to actively make it our practice to express gratitude as the way that we approach our lives. Now, these are all command words, and I know that as, um, as free and brave Americans, we don't like commands very much. I've noticed that in our culture, commands are kind of negatively viewed, but when God gives us commands, it is because he understands that it, it is really easy and natural for us to do the opposite of that thing. And when we do the opposite of that thing, our lives go in a direction that is not good for us and don't honor him. And so God doesn't give us commands to mess with our lives, to pull a power play. He gives us commands because left to our own devices, when we drift or slide the easy way down, nobody drifts uphill. We haven't watched anybody drift passively into greatness or growth or health. That just doesn't happen. Think about your physical health. If you just leave it alone, what happens to you? Some of us know very well, this happens to me. (laughs) This is what happens when you don't really work at your physical. What about at your intellectual health? You you know, there's all these apps to keep your brain sharp. Because if you don't, you might find, oh, I can't remember anything. When we don't work at things, when we're not active, the natural slide in this universe is towards decline. And so God gives us commands as a gift because it's from the heart of a loving father calling out to us as his children Don't slide down that way. Choose a different way. Because if you do what comes naturally and easy, it's very likely your heart will lead you to places you don't want to end up. 
I think the reason that David spends so many words and so many verses admonishing us to be intentionally thankful, intentionally to acknowledge God, is because we are selectively tuned to the negative. Would you agree that it seems like the human heart somehow is selectively tuned to the negative? We remember our nightmares way longer and more clearly than we remember our good dreams. It's just something about pain that leaves a lasting 2020 crystal clear HD 4K HDR, whatever picture you want. It's the best picture we get. Often pain leaves that very clear memory, but joy is so short-lived. Think about when you have an amazing vacation and how fast the effects of that amazing vacation fade before the end of your first day back at work. It's like it never happened. While you're there, everything is awesome. And the first day back at work, you're like, oh, I hate my life. It's amazing how selectively we are tuned in to those things which are negative and draining and dragging and depressing so that the reason that David and God continue to admonish us, choose a different ways because if we don't choose it, we will selectively key in on those things which drain the life out of us. It takes effort to remember the goodness of God. It takes effort to remember it's all around us, but if we don't look for it, we will see what screams most loudly at us. And if our fallen hearts are tuned to the negative, that's what we will keep seeing over and over and over. Do you remember when you're, you, you who are parents, remember when your, your newborn baby was still just so fresh and new and you just would stare by the crib and go, I can't believe that's my kid. So beautiful. Is that how you talk to them when they're like 10, 12? Do you ever just stare at your 12-year-old and go, so beautiful. I just, I can't believe you're, you're like, oh, six more years. Right? I mean, do you understand that that's just how our hearts are wired? And when we don't choose to look at the wonder of this is my child, this is my husband, my wife, this is my friend we don't choose to look at that as a matter of choice, we won't see it. Here's a natural law of the universe, which I've said again and again, you see what you look at. I don't know what's behind me because I'm not looking at it. It's invisible to me. You see only what you look at, and what you look at forms your picture of the world you live in. We've all heard it observed that the news, the evening news, should just be renamed the, the bad news. I mean, I just took a snapshot, a screenshot of CNN's homepage last night. I I was trying to find one piece of good news. Top college football plays right there. That might be the closest that I can see. Most of it is negative, and most of it is about the president. Even the ACDC co-founder and guitarist dies at 60. It's just bad. The only thing that gets reported is the bad news, right? The bad news. And if we look selectively at those things, that will form a picture. And sometimes when you watch the news, it feels like the whole world is just burning. It's getting destroyed. It's every day, though, things that are not deemed newsworthy, not reported, are still happening every day in our world that give glory to God, that are saving people. Every day, doctors are saving people's lives. Every day, parents are faithfully caring for their children, rearing them up in the proper way. Every day, husbands and wives are faithfully and joyfully and passionately loving one another. Not in every home, not in every case, but all around the world every day, there is more good than bad. This world is filled 
with the goodness of God. But if we don't make the choice to look at it and look for it, we will miss what's all around us. Have you ever known someone who's like that? Everything just, you go, hey, did you see that? No, what? They're just not paying attention. They miss everything. And isn't it frustrating when you're like, wow, did you see that? And there's always one member of every family like, no, I, I didn't see it. Don't you look around you? Don't you see? If you're paying attention, if you're observant, this world is filled with interesting things to see. It's filled with wonder. The goodness of God is plastered all over the world. But it's only those who seek him who will rejoice. Did you catch that in that verse? You seek him, your heart will rejoice. But when we don't, the picture that emerges of the world we live in is a really dark picture. See, when we choose to approach God with an attitude of thanksgiving, it doesn't erase or, or nullify the pain or hardship we're going through. Some people are afraid that if I act like I'm thankful to God, it's just going to invalidate the real pain and hardship I'm going through. It doesn't. God knows the pain and hardship we're going through, and it's very real, and it's important to him as it's important to us. But when we approach God... It's so important that before we say a single thing to God, we establish clearly, who is this God to me? Is he simply the government bureau of complaints? Or is he a loving father who is with me and for me? See, when we make a choice, and this is a choice we're empowered to make, when we choose to approach God from a posture of gratitude, what we're saying is when I come to you, God, even when it comes time, to really lament and grieve and cry out to you, say, I'm not happy with my situation. I'm in pain and I'm enduring hardship. Even when it's time to do that before God, it's far more life-giving to give that lament, to complain and cry out to God when we've already established, this is my heavenly Father. And on the worst day of my life, he is with me and for me. He loves me. He is good. And that's the God to whom I'm presenting the reality of my pain and frustration and hardship. If we don't approach God with a posture of thanksgiving, who is it then that we are saying these things to? And how will it possibly engender any real hope in us? It's a way of saying that, God, when I approach you, I'm establishing right from the start You are my advocate, and you're not my enemy or my adversary. Now, where do we express this kind of gratitude to God? I'm convinced that the best place to really express this kind of gratitude to God is in prayer. Prayer, I just heard this this morning. Sometimes when you you listen to Moody Radio on the way to church, a little nugget comes that you can steal for your sermon. um, This one quote that this guy said, the DJ was saying is, Prayer is the place where human lives and the life of God intersect. It's a meeting place where my life and the life of God actually enter the same space. And he further said that most of the issues we go through in life revolve around two themes. One theme is that God doesn't behave the way I want him to behave. And the other theme is I don't behave the way God wants me to behave. And both of those things are troubling, and we need to work those things out in conversation, and prayer is where that business gets done. But if we're going to approach God in that kind of conversation, we cannot be confused at the start who it is we're talking to. I love that, you know, compared to when I was growing up in the church, 
there's so much more freedom of expression in our faith. When I grew up, I, I grew up in churches that taught me, show only respect to God, wear your best clothes, don't misbehave, Act, even if you have to fake it, you fake it till you make it, don't show your true feelings to God, be respectful, be whatever. And I love that over the course of my Christian journey, the culture of the church has shifted to where we're permitted, and I think biblically so, to be honest in our expressions to God. Say, God, I'm frustrated. I'm in pain. I don't like this. I'm experiencing disappointment with you, and I want you to help me. We're free to speak to God as though we're speaking to someone we know. He is big enough, secure enough to handle our raw emotions. But it is not healthy for us in the midst of that to lose sight of and forget who it is we're speaking so honestly with. See, being honest does not mean being disrespectful. That's something we all need to learn in our relationships. Being honest is not the same as a license to be a jerk, to be rude, disrespectful, ugly in our personality and demeanor, unchoosy with our words. To be honest still requires us to express dignity for ourselves and for other people, to never forget who it is I'm being so honest with. And if we kept that in mind, all of our relationships would be improved even through conflict. But when we forget that, and when we dispense with courtesy and respectfulness, when we forget who it is we're speaking honestly with, our honesty is devoid of love and it becomes toxic. It just becomes venom spewing out. And that's never repaired a single relationship. So I want to remind us that one of the great empowerments we're given is we, we can't control the things that happen to us, but we can control what attitude or posture we adopt as we walk through this life. And gratitude is a choice we're free to make. Second thing I see here is that we thank God for what he has done. When it says give thanks to the Lord for he is good, it's not just a statement of his character, but of his conduct in our lives. The effect God has on our lives is an effect for good. It's clear that in this hymn of thanksgiving, David says it's important for us to acknowledge and thank God for what he has done, for his wonderful acts. Have you ever had a relationship with someone who was ungrateful? Despite your best efforts to serve them, to love them, to be kind and gracious to them, it was never enough. Now, it's annoying when it's a stranger, you know, Every once in a while, I hold the door open for someone, and they just walk right past me like I'm the doorman. I'm like, where's my tip? I mean, not even a nod. You act like I'm supposed to do that. Couldn't you at least just give me a, you know, something? And it's annoying when a stranger does that, when they're ungrateful. But it really stings when it's someone I love and care about. When it's not just a one-time act, I'll just open the door. And if you don't say thanks, whatever, that's the world we live in. But... When it's someone you love who's close to you, and this is a habit of your life, your general posture is, I'm trying really hard to be kind to you, to look out for you, to be humble with you. And no matter how much I work at it, it never seems to get acknowledged. It's like you just eat it for breakfast and think that's the air you breathe, that no one's making an effort, that my calmness, my kindness, my patience is just like falling out of bed. But I'm working hard at this for your sake. Every day I bite my tongue. Every day I withhold my temper. Every day I pray for you, even though I'd rather curse you. 
Every day I'm serving you, I'm sacrificing for you. And just once I would like to be acknowledged for that. For you to look at me and say, thank you. Thank you for that. I know this road is not easy for you. I know I'm not easy to live with. But I see what you've done, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful for all the little things that you do for me. Some time ago, I preached a short message on the attitude of gratitude about the practice of writing thank you letters and cards. And I don't know if some of you continue that practice, but I think it's a wonderful practice to engage in. And whether you do it through a text, an email, or a paper card, I think it's a wonderful discipline to just randomly select people in your lives and acknowledge the kindnesses and the acts of service, which it costs them something to render to you. When you know somebody who seems not able to acknowledge you for the things you do, let me ask you a question. How does that affect your relationship with them? Does ingratitude and the lack of acknowledgement draw out even more generosity of spirit from you? Does it make you want to do even more for that person? No, it drives a wedge between you. It starts to create distance. You feel like, wow, what's the point of trying when trying never gets... I do one wrong thing, bam, I get executed. One foul, one little ticky-tack foul, I get ejected from the game. But a thousand good passes, a thousand not hitting the guy, no one ever says anything. And after a while, it creates relational distance and it creates a sense of defeat in a person. If I work so hard at being good to you and it's never acknowledged, isn't it the same as if I stop working hard? I'm going to get the same outcome. What's the point? And some of us, practically speaking, logically speaking, have arrived at that conclusion in some of the important relationships in our lives. This is where gratitude comes in, and when we choose to be grateful and express it, not hold it in as a secret. I'm never going to say it, but I'm really thankful in secret. That's worthless. (laughs) It's a start. I wouldn't say it's worthless. It's a little bit worthy, but it's a start. It's only good for you. When you express gratitude, it has this power to supernaturally begin healing a relationship. Now, the person is not serving you in order to be acknowledged. I hope not. But when you don't acknowledge, it creates unnecessary pain and frustration when they are trying to do something to be genuinely loving. And we all know what that feels like on the receiving end. Ingratitude just drives a wedge between us and another person. And it's not so different in our relationship with God. I know we demand God to be just different in every way from us, but God expresses his personhood and his personality all throughout Scripture. And in the same way that ingratitude drives a wedge between us and other people, ingratitude drives a wedge relationally between us and God. It's so important that no matter what we are going through in our lives, it becomes a matter of spiritual discipline and obedience that when we approach God, our first posture is, God, before I say a single thing to you, I'm going to acknowledge that you're still good and that you are still at work in my life. It's hard for me to see it right now in this season because my selectively tuned heart is seizing on all the things I'm ticked off about, all the things that are not going my way. And those things are real. I'm not telling you, you're imagining them. The bad, the bad news and the headlines, it's not fake news. Those things are really happening, but it's not the whole news, is it? There's so much good that happens alongside the bad. And what we're saying to God is, God, when I approach you, I choose at the onset to establish right away, you are a God to whom I am grateful. That's my choice. I'm empowered to make that choice. 
And that sets the table for how I relate to God so that I'm free from that point to share with him all the things I'm going through, knowing that the God who hears that prayer and even that lament is the God who is with me and for me. You know, you may be going through a time in your life where almost nothing is going well. I remember during a period of my life in high school where I went through about six months where it felt exactly like that. Nothing is going right. I hate my whole existence. Every possible thing that could go wrong. And at that age, it was almost always about some girl who stopped liking me or something like that. But, you know, it's embarrassing to read your diary (laughs) from when you were young because you realized how linear thinking was. Everything is so bad. The whole world is just... No, it's, it's really not. It is bad, but it's not only bad. God is good. He is alive and risen. He is watching over you. And even today, in the midst of this really hard chapter of your life, you're drawing breath because he is good. You can breathe the complaint because he has put breath in your lungs. I've read this probably about 15 years ago, I think, in a sermon, but I, I want to read it again for you because I continue to be, be amazed by this example of gratitude. Matthew Henry was a pastor in the Church of England in the 1600s. And Matthew Henry was mugged one day. It says he was robbed by thieves. In our modern language, he was jacked. I mean, he was mugged walking down the street. Some guys accosted him with weapons and took everything in his purse. His journal, his daily diary, survives to this day, and one of the entries was from the day he was robbed. And let me just read that for you, because this amazes me. How many of you would find something to be thankful for on the day you got mugged? (laughs) Here's what he says. Let me be thankful first, because I was never robbed before. It's my first time. And that's not just some cute little thing. I mean, he's really saying, this is the first time I've ever been robbed, thank God. Then, second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. It's just money. And third, because although they took my all, it wasn't that much. (laughs) Pastors, even back then, right? (laughs) You take all of it. You're just practicing at this point. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. That though I was a victim of a heinous crime, thank you, God, that my life hasn't sunk to the point where I'm the one committing that crime. I have you to thank for that. Now, these aren't cutesy, fake, forced Christianese. These feel very legitimate. You know, they feel like honest attempts at gratitude in the midst of what I would say is a horrible day. I've never been mugged, but I imagine if I were, it would ruin my entire year. This is such a good example to us of what the discipline and the choice of gratitude looks like. Even when your life is swirling down a toilet, if you decide, I will thank you, God will reveal to you that there is much to thank him for. And that thanksgiving doesn't invalidate your pain and hardship. It stands right there. It's still there. But it allows you to be honest and fair and say, God, that's not the only story that defines my life. In the midst of this pain, there is still good because you're good. In the midst of my hardship, there is still something to be thankful for because you have not gone on vacation and abandoned us. Even now, in my hardship, you are there. 
If you want to begin practicing this discipline of gratitude, start with some of the things that you just take for granted that you think are supposed to be there. Uh, you know, Louis C.K., a comedian that now is a little bit under fire, but some of his observational humor is so sharp, so insightful, and one of his funniest bits is about how we complain about our phones. I hate this phone. It's so slow. He's like, it's a miracle, this thing you're holding in your hand. And listen to that bit. I was like, you're right. I am, an, I am one of those people who is at an addiction level of curiosity. If I see a URL on the back of a car trunk while I'm on the, on the road, I have to actually pull over and look at it. I have to know what that is. I can't let anything go. I'm, I must have been a cat in a previous life. My curiosity is out of control. And for someone like me, the idea that I have the collective knowledge base of the human race in my pocket is a miracle. The fact that someone like me can whip out my phone and in five seconds just scratch the edge and go, okay, that's what that is. It's nothing. My life, I just lost 30 seconds. I'll never get back, but at least I know. And to me, that's a miracle that I have it. Just, and beginning with the most mundane, simple things that I just take for granted that I can reach into my pocket and access the collective wisdom and, and intelligence of the entire human race for all of our history. I've yet to find something that the internet doesn't at least touch on. <laughs> and that's saying something because I look up everything. Here's another thing. When's the last time it occurred to you to be thankful for the electrical grid? A couple of weeks ago, Joe, Ed, and I went to Haiti. This is the room where we hung out to debrief and to get a little work done to journal at the end of the day. And in this mission base, the mission base was built in a village that really was off the electrical grid. So everything ran off of solar panels. And most of the time it worked well. One of the most critical elements of that electricity was the fan that I had plugged in aimed at me while I slept, not just for temperature, but because it kept the bugs from landing. It created a tornado, and they couldn't get any... So I was bite-free because of the fan. But on the last day we were there, and this is the worst night for it to happen, we were preparing to check in for our return flights. We were trying to charge our devices, kind of get ready for re-entry. And at 8.30 p.m., the lights went up. It turns out that it was very cloudy and rainy for much of that day, and the solar panels did not suck up enough juice for the battery array. And at 8.30 p.m., our tickety-tackety on our laptops just drained the last of it and, the sh- and power shut down. And we're like, oh, crud. The worst, I, I'm, I couldn't charge my phone before my trip. I couldn't, and it was frustrating. We had to take showers by the glow of our smartphone screens. I don't know if you've ever taken a shower in the dark by your, it's weird. It's kind of creepy, too. And, uh, you know, it occurred to me that moment how much I take for granted that every time I plug stuff in, it works where I live. Just everything works here. It works so well, I complain when it doesn't work fast, when it's not flawless. When my power goes out, all I got to do is push that red button on the outlet. Working again. It's a miracle. And it just occurs to me that if we make a choice, we will find a thousand things which we presume God owes us every day, but which are, in fact, his everyday mercies and gifts of love. Teenagers, I want to encourage you with something. You know, um, 
the things you often just assume are just supposed to be part of your life, like, I need a ride. And magically a chauffeur goes, okay, I'll stop everything and I'll take you where you need to go. You know the fact that you don't wear clothes that are hopelessly outdated and goofy looking, but you get to dress pretty much like you're supposed to look at your age? The fact that there are three meals a day for you to eat and that even when you don't want to eat, someone is forcing nutrition down your throat. The fact that your parents care more about your grades than you do because they want you to have a future. All these annoyances and presumptions, I want you to know what it costs your parents to provide for you. And that's a start, right? And I want you to do something miraculous today. I want you to walk up to your parents and express gratitude for one thing which you sort of feel like is owed to you. And as I share with the teenagers, I'm saying that selfish because I want my teenagers to say something to me. <laughs> I want to give the same encouragement to all of us. I know that maybe you're going through a difficult time. But make the choice today to express gratitude. Look for something, because if you look, you will find it, and you will experience almost instantly that that's a preferable posture for your heart. It doesn't fix the things that are happening around you, but it sets your heart in a different posture, and you will find that it's welcome, that it's in fact where you want to be. Let me give you one last thing. We want to thank God for who he is. What happens in our relationships when the only time we acknowledge a person is for the stuff they do for us? Well, if the only time we express gratitude and acknowledgement is in response to a direct benefit you gave to me, that really objectifies another person. It reduces their value in our lives to the last thing you did for me. There's great value when we acknowledge and thank people not only for what they've done for us, but for who they are to us. You know, I appreciate when people say thank you to me, but once in a while, my my wife will say something that really touches my heart. I don't know if she realizes how deeply it touches my heart. But once in a while, Jeannie will say to me, you know, Dave, you're a really good man. I'm really thankful that you're my husband and you're our kid's father. I'm proud to say that. And it's not because I did something. My first thought is, what do I do? I, I don't get it. But she's expressing an existential gratitude. A, a posture, an attitude towards me that I really touches my heart because I feel seen and understood and valued in that moment. Not because I did something that benefited her directly in that moment, but she's looking at me and expressing gratitude for me. Not what I gave, not what I did, but just for me being alive and attached to her. For the fact that the man on her arm is me. And I can't tell you what that does for my heart and for our relationship. Pause and think about how your relationships would be deeply impacted if we did this more often for each other. I couldn't have asked for a better daughter than you. I'm so happy you're my little girl. Dad, I'm really grateful that I'm so proud to say in public you're my dad. Our family has a good reputation because of you. I've learned so many good things. I'm just so grateful that of all the dads I could have had, God gifted me with you. You're a really good friend. There's a lot of friends who come and go, but you've been a faithful friend for a very long time, and I'm so thankful you're my friend. Can you imagine how this would start? And I know it's a little heebie, 
to say things like this if that's not your way of talking. Most of us, the most we're going to muster in our first attempt is, right? You know, that's okay. That's a start. But just imagine if you got to a place where you could regularly verbalize how thankful you are to different people just because they're in your life. Because you value and love what they're like and who they are. Not just for the last benefit you got from them, but because you're so thankful to be attached to them. And can you imagine then how profoundly your relationship with God would be affected if rather than just saying, God, I don't see that you love me because you haven't done things for me, just say, God, I'm just thankful that you are all-powerful. You made everything. You could have been a colossal jerk, and you are awesome. You could have been hateful, but you're loving. You could have been destructive and malevolent, but you are so benevolent. You're so creative. You could have been stingy, but you're generous. You could have been a mute, lifeless idol, a dead God, a false spirit, but instead you are the real God. I have no doubts about that at this stage in my life. I have seen and experienced God enough that I, don't, I no longer doubt, are you real? He's shown himself to me, and I'm so thankful that the God I pray to is the God I know is real. He lives, he exists. I'm not fooling myself. I'm not convincing myself. I get to pray to a God who actually lives. And that alone is a gift if you think about it. I have a God who could have held a grudge. Instead, he rescued me out of my own sinfulness. He grabbed me when I wasn't worth grabbing. That's the God I have. And I'm just so grateful that's what he's like. That's who he is. Even if he hasn't done something I can tangibly name in this moment, just him being him is worthy of thanks. So I want to encourage you, make that a practice. I mean, in this hymn of thanksgiving, David acknowledges we're thankful because God is great. He is worthy of praise. He is fearsome in all the right ways. He doesn't just rule our little village. He is the God of everything. And unlike the other nations that have idols that are lifeless and dead, things carved by their own hands, our God is real. In the same way that our relationships are built up when we acknowledge and thank people for who they are and not only what they do, our relationship with God is really blessed and strengthened when we do the same for him. Let me bring it to a close this way. We are called on Thanksgiving to give thanks, right? And we should be thanking each other. And today we will thank many of you for the role you've played in building this church and carrying us through this year. But I want to encourage us today, right in this moment, to focus all of our hearts on God, our Heavenly Father, on Jesus, our Savior. And we give thanks because he is good. That is who he is. We don't determine that by looking at the circumstances of our lives. We accept in faith that is who God is. It's how I first met him. When I came to know him, when I left my godless life, when I turned my back on the ways of everything I once knew and accepted him in faith, it was because I saw very clearly my God is a good God. 
I trusted you once. For me, it was 1984, August. I trusted him. I saw him as undeniably good. He won my heart. And I'm not going to put him on trial every day after that and say, I'll decide if you're good or not. I met him as the God who is good. It is who he is. And I will love him and thank him and acknowledge him because he is good. Not to determine whether he is good, but because he is so. And when our posture becomes that, our hearts open up towards God. And we will give thanks to him because his love endures forever. I'm going to tell you right now that a good number of the people who you love and who have loved you, over the course of your life, you'll lose each other. Some of us have experienced that in the most sharp and profound way. Love doesn't always last. Love sometimes dies. Sometimes the people who love us very well, very intensely, get over us. They walk away. They stop loving us. We yearn for a love that isn't so fickle, that isn't so temporary. We long for love from someone who will never get over us who will never roll their eyes and be so tired of us. And there is only one person you will ever know who will love you like that. And that person is not sitting next to you right now. Amen? It's pretty good what you got. But it isn't (laughs) love that endures forever. We thank God because that's the way he'll love us. When everyone else has walked away, he will still be in that room. He will never get over you. He will never grow weary of you. Even when you can't manage to love yourself, he will love you. He will. He does. And so we thank God because he loves us with a love that doesn't have an expiration date. His love simply endures forever. And if you've ever needed a reminder of just how much he loves you and how good he is, Go back to the story of your salvation. That's always the right starting place. Maybe you're feeling a little numb, a little distant, a little cold. The place to revisit your faith is at the place where it started. If you ever need a reminder to thank God, go back to the day you were saved. That always does it for me. It's at the cross I remember this God is so good. And my God will love me forever. No one else will love me like that, but my God does. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.